Hey, you want to hear a really frightening headline from the Good News Network? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, here's the headline. And I'm not even going to read the article because the headline just scares the hell out of me. Okay, you ready? Robot that performs colonoscopy set to make procedure simpler, cheaper, and more effective. <laughs> All right, I don't want to be the first patient. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to have been in the control group for that one? <laughs> Little left, little left, little right, little left. Oh, damn. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Hey, that's premature dingage there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Story of my life. Uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, the quick on the draw, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. And uh, Steve Barkley. That would be this guy. And uh, how are you guys doing? Oh, just swell. I hear Ryan's on vacation. Yeah, he's, he's been on vacation the entire week. That's right. Yeah, what's frightening is I didn't notice a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't sent you all the emails I've got to get caught up on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess there was a difference. No, there hasn't been that many. I have been replying to people. I haven't called anybody back, but you know, there's been a few emails that you know have needed to be taken care of. So I got well, your what back. Do you, what do you? TCB. Uh, what have you been doing? Really, not a lot. Linda's recalked our bathroom tub. Um, we had Benji in for surgery yesterday, so he's recovering. Oh, Benji's Benji. our little cocker spaniel. Um, other than that, we've just been kind of puttering around the house, getting stuff done. Yeah, I guess that's that's what most people's vacations look like these days. Is just staycation is kind yeah. of the, the new thing. Had to get the car yeah. in for servicing. You know, just life stuff. How about you? Yeah, meanwhile, no, I've been running around Vancouver all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Little little more than I should have to, actually, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> went out to do deliveries on uh, what was it, Tuesday, I guess, and uh, had one in one in Richmond, one in Vancouver, got to the one in Vancouver, dropped off the stuff there, got back in my car and realized, hey, I left the one the stuff for the one in Richmond sitting on my piano at home. Oh no. Yeah, that wasn't my brightest moment. <laughs> so a separate trip to Richmond the next day. Oh, well. Now we know what Rob's week's been like. He's been crazy busy. Yeah, it's been yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's right. It's Gala week. That's right. Here. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting. Yep. Big day, big night tomorrow. That's right. Looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. Jackie and I will be cloistered up in our bedroom doing the gala stuff because Abby's got friends over for her birthday. So she's taken over the main floor while we gala up in our bed. Mute your microphone. I, it, 
Um, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Um, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Mike May and Jose Gaznatibe from goodmaps.com. All about indoor navigation. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. indoor navigation again, huh? You betcha. It's the new frontier. Not the deepest ocean, not the cold stretches of outer space, but inside a building. That's right. Where's the bathroom? Hey, guess what, guys? What? What, what? We got mail. We <gasps> did. We got mail. I was so excited. We got another email from a faithful listener. Thank you so much, Steph. Woo, woo. Cowbell for Steph. <laughs> we only get a little excited when we get mail. <laughs> In any case, let's let's read this. So she says, hi, folks. Thanks for such a great podcast. I was just listening to the podcast about suing companies due to unaccessible website. And based on my experience of the website world, companies need to be sued. Otherwise, they would not even bother to make their sites accessible. Over the past couple of years, I have approached companies about their website and have also offered to educate them on how to make it accessible in exchange for a fee or an exchange of service or item. I've had companies be willing and interested to engage on making their site accessible, and other companies say such things as, we are not specializing in the blind. Some companies, once educated, will make changes, while most do not bother, and if by chance you can find their phone number on their site, they are not willing to help via phone. It needs to be approached right from how up-and-coming web developers are educated, and if they do not make their sites accessible, it should be upon them to fix their mistakes without charging companies who have hired them to make their websites. As a blind person, I spent the time to find out how to ensure my website was accessible so the tools are available. I say bring it to the attention to website owners about their accessibility issues and set up a time frame to have them fix it. And if they are not willing to do that, then file a complaint with the government. And if at that point, changes are not made it is not up to the users of websites to troubleshoot what other accessibility tools might work, and the next step is to sue. All sites need to be accessible with iOS, Android, computers, tablets, and up-to-date browsers. I commend and cheer those who are willing to go through all the time, effort, and struggle of suing a company for their lack of accessibility. I look forward to the day that a company is no longer able to say, oh, we are not fixing the website, for the blind, or are we are not specializing in the blind at this time. Cheers, Steph. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, and I think we are at that point now because clearly um, the ADA empowers people to, um, you know, leverage that legislation to go after people who are too lazy to make themselves accessible. So. Well, I'm um, going to play devil's advocate again because I agree with everything she said, but at the same time. If you are a user of a blindness product, such as a screen reader, learn to use your screen reader. Well, that you're, you're talking about a different issue then. You're not talking about an inaccessible website. You're talking about somebody who doesn't know how to use the tool okay, to access de- the website. Define inaccessible. Something well, I mean, there, there's lots of examples of, of websites that are inaccessible. There's, you know, websites with nothing but graphic elements on it, you know, with no corresponding text or alt text. There's uh, websites that have uh, controls or tools that, uh, you know, aren't properly labeled. There, there's lots of Yes, there are lots that, of examples that for sure yeah. a screen reader will not be able to read. But in yeah. some of the past examples we've seen, 
you know, there could be workarounds. Not to say that's the answer. Yes, all websites should be accessible. I totally agree. But there are definitely, I think, some things that we as users have a responsibility to, to learn and do to learn our tools and how they can be used. You know, most of us who are blind and use our screen readers probably use 20 to 30 percent of what the program is actually capable of. You know, I, I think that the important thing about this, especially right now, is is mainly it's it's about optics and it's mainly about um, bringing bringing suits to some of the bigger players that that clearly aren't playing ball in terms of uh, you know of of really going out of their way to make sure that their products are accessible. And I think that it it is important to to legislate to a degree um, just to make it clear that accessibility is is a serious issue. It's it's right up there with not having wheelchair ramps, not having curb cuts. Well, agreed. Um, and we've talked before well, about, you know, we are consumers just like the rest of the other sighted folk out there. We've got dollars to spend as well. You know, so seeing people take, you know, Ticketmaster and Targets and Radio Shacks and Dominoes to court, you know, I, I applaud that. You know, that has to be done. I have dollars I might want to spend at Radio Shack. And if I can't access their goods and services, I'm going to go elsewhere, and they've lost a customer. So it benefits them for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in general, I think we're we're all on the same page. No, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> you just certainly do. Agreeing with you. All right. Well, in any case, thank you so much for the email stuff. Uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, we love getting email and, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it was, uh, it was something that was thought provoking and, and, uh, you know, generated, you know, more, more visibility because digital accessibility is, is really an issue right now and, and we need more people talking about it. Yes, yep. indeed. I wouldn't buy anything from Radio Shack anyways. It's garbage. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies and this is a shameless plug. A few years back, everyone was all excited about the pen friend from RNIB, which allowed folks to use small stickers with a chip in them to label products and record descriptions. We are pleased to be Canada's distributor of way around products, which do the same thing, but utilize a cell phone as the reader. There are a variety of available tags from simple stickers to clothing buttons, magnets, clips. There's something to label almost everything. The descriptions you enter can be any length and they are automatically backed up to your account on the web. So no matter what happens, you'll never lose your description. Check them out on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now are Mike May and Jose Gazantibe from goodmaps.com. Hey, gentlemen. We want to hey, thank guys. you so much for taking some time out to join us. And sorry for the last minute time change, but you know we appreciate your ability to adapt. Our pleasure. It's the it's the startup world. You got to be nimble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's get right to it then. And um, can you just give us a little bit of a snapshot of, of what Good Maps is? Yeah, absolutely. So Good Maps is is a couple of things, but primarily it is a digital mapping platform. Uh, we go into indoor spaces with lidar and uh, and create maps out of the images and the and the data that we receive. Uh, and then we make those spaces navigatable for people who are blind or visually impaired using our application, which is called Good Maps Explore. Uh, users can currently use Good Maps Explore uh, primarily outdoors, but every week we are adding new indoor venues uh, to enable indoor navigation. Can you explain to, to us and the audience 
Um, what exactly is LIDAR? Yeah, great question. So, so LIDAR, uh, I, I think one of the first things that's important to know is LIDAR is the technology that undergirds a lot of what is happening in autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles. Uh, and it is effectively uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, very low-grade lasers, not harmful to anybody, um, that are sent out every second, uh, and they are used to identify what is around you. Um, so effectively, every time one of those lasers uh, interferes or, or comes up uh, against something, we are able to identify uh, how far away that interaction happened. And then we cobble together all of those different points of light uh, into a single image. Uh, and then we use that to uh, define the, the space that's around us, where the walls, where the hallways, uh, where the people, where the, where the items that we need to be aware of. Uh, and it all happens in the blink of an eye. One of the questions I had was Apple, of course, announced a, a whole new set of iPhones yesterday. I think some, if not all, including LiDAR. So is all LiDAR created equally? And will this allow people or enable people to go in and map their own sites? Oh, Ryan, that is such a good question. Um, the, so all LiDAR is not created equally. Um, and what Apple announced yesterday, we're very, very excited about. Um, we think that we're going to be able to use it to identify dynamic points of interest around you, uh, groups of people, individuals, uh, tables, chairs, all of the things that are important to know the change after we go in there with an individual scan. And so the new technology that Apple is, is making on their phone uh, means that we're going to be able to do things that, that we weren't able to and that are going to really revolutionize uh, accessible navigation. Unfortunately, uh, because of the restrictions on power and size and memory, the LiDAR devices that are on the iPhones are, are relatively low grade, uh, and they don't have the range, and they don't have the memory to really replicate what we're doing with, with a dedicated LiDAR device, at least not yet. Okay. Uh, the nature of this technology is it gets smaller and, and more portable and more efficient over time, but at least with the current version, uh, we will not be able to use it for, for mapping, but we will be able to use it for item identification. Cool. And for the moment, it's on the iPhone Pro and Pro Max. Right. So, no, there's been a lot of companies that have taken a lot of kicks at the can in terms of indoor navigation. Um, what's the advantage of LiDAR over some of those, like, for example, like beacon technology or, and stuff like that? Yeah, so uh, I think one of the things that's uh, that's important to understand about our approach, uh, it's a few things. So, first of all, we use LiDAR really only to create uh, the actual map that is utilized during navigation, but LiDAR doesn't help you with positioning. Uh, for positioning, we use something called a camera-based positioning. Uh, and so effectively, we're, we're fusing two technologies. The first one is the AR kit or the AR core that you can find on your smartphone. And then the second one is technology that we've developed with a partner uh, where effectively when we walk into a building, we're collecting uh, hundreds of thousands of images and all of those images have locations associated with them. So coordinates, XYZ coordinates. Somebody who's using our application, uh, every 10 seconds or so, we will send uh, a, an algorithm, an API, uh, a picture uh, of where the user is and then they will return uh, an extremely accurate XYZ coordinate of where that individual is. Uh, and so we are seeing a meter to meter and a half level accuracy on, on relatively long trips. So, so what does that mean? Why is this different? 
we're able to significantly improve the accuracy that a user experiences when they're walking through a space. Uh, usually with Beacon's best case scenario, you're looking at about four meters. More realistically, you're talking about five, six, or seven. Uh, with our camera-based positioning, you're, you're looking at about a meter to meter and a half. And then from the perspective of the venue, there, there's no hardware. There's nothing to put on your wall. There's nothing to... Uh, maintain. There's nothing to monitor. There's no batteries to replace. And so for both the end user who's trying to make their way through a building and also a building owner who's trying to reduce uh, what they have to do within that building, th this solution is really ideal. So, you know, there's a couple different companies that I'm aware of, you guys included, that are, are doing this mapping of indoor spaces. Is Is this something you guys are going to be doing on your own? Or are you partnering with others? Because this is such a, a daunting task. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so, so the answer is yes, and and we're partnering with others in a few ways. So uh, we just released a uh, an announcement that we've partnered with CNIB, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. They are going to be our, our Canadian distributors. Uh, we have armed them and and trained them in the use of lidar. Uh, and so they're going to help us expand our footprint in Canada, and there will be other countries that we hope to expand to over the course of 2021. Um, but, but then I think there's a, there's another fundamental question here. So let, let me take a step back. When APH created our company and we were trying to determine how we could make a really big impact on accessible navigation, indoor mapping was by far the biggest bottleneck. There, there are simply no indoor maps. And so I can create the best navigation app in the world. And if I don't have a map to, to refer you to when you enter a space, uh, I'm not doing much good. And so that's why we decided to, to focus on mapping. And so by extension, if, if we feel like we have created a process and a platform and are leveraging the latest and greatest technology to actually create those maps where they don't exist, then we think we have a moral obligation to share those maps with other accessible navigation technologies. We're really proud of what we've done with Good Maps Explore, uh, but we know that it might not be everybody's preference or that people have other navigation apps that they're used to. And so in 2021, we'll be releasing um, uh, effectively a suite of tools that other navigation apps can use to, to leverage the maps that we're out there creating because we think that people deserve choice in how they engage with that data. And that's a smart move because a lot of these new technologies that are that are emerging, they really need that kick in the pants to get that content created. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think this is a case where momentum begets momentum. Uh, in the in the more venues that see the the value, the more users see the value, the more venues will be compelled to install the, this technology to the benefit of, of all of us. Yeah, that's right. They just they kind of build on each other. Exactly. It's a it's a virtuous cycle. So could you step us through the process that a user would go through when they open the app and they go into a space that, that is mapped? Sure. Um, in, a, in a mapped indoor space, uh, it's in a lot of ways similar to outdoors. So a point of interest indoors is an office or a reception desk. What's different indoors is your, you don't have the equivalent of street. So you can't say go down 7th Street. You have to say go straight ahead. Uh, slight right, uh, a little bit to your left, and actually prompt the person as they as they go along. You can use some landmark or point of interest based turns, uh, turn after the Starbucks, that kind of thing. But so the navigation indoors is a little different, but it's roughly the same concept as outdoors, which is give people directions based on heading and distance. And then outdoors, the app, which is 
where it primarily works right now, it is much the same as people would be familiar with in terms of um, navigation by the getting warmer method. Currently, we have the routing being done through either Apple or Google Maps. So your position would be pushed off to one of those external apps and use that for your turn-by-turn -turn navigation. Uh, what is pretty unique compared to even the, the beacon systems that have been around for a while is in our indoor uh, mapping, we do give turn-by-turn -turn directions, which is uh, not a trivial thing to accomplish inside where you don't have those grid streets to navigate people on. You're talking about hallways and also multiple floors. So what would the process be then if a building owner, restaurant, CNIB, whoever, wanted to have their building mapped out, would you like take the engineered drawings or would you go in after the fact? Like what would the process of that be? Yeah, you know, we, we can leverage uh, engineered drawings. I, I think the reality is that oftentimes those haven't been updated in uh, a, a very, very long time, in some case, several decades. Uh, and so you're automatically dealing with information that, that isn't up to date. So our, our preference uh, and where we generally start off is to send one of our mappers in with one of the LiDAR backpacks um, and they'll walk through a space. Uh, generally that takes anywhere between 20 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on the size of the space. But we can generally walk through it at the same speed uh, that somebody would if, if they were not mapping. We're collecting information along the way, room names, uh, you know, important landmarks, wh wh whatever's important to have represented on the map. And then basically we go back and we spend a handful of days taking that raw data and turning it into floor plans and populating uh, that floor plan with the, with the relevant information. We then spend a few minutes with the venue owner just confirming that we got all the right names and, and that everything that's on the map uh, represents uh, the, the truth of what's in that space. We press the publish button, and then when somebody walks through with Good Maps Explorer, it's available. Uh, from there, the the work is basically just to make sure uh, that the information remains up to date. So if you run an airport and uh, you know the McDonald's became a Burger King, just making sure that you're going into the Good Maps platform and uh, and noting that change. It's a it's a pretty low level lift uh, once the mapping is done. So that's something the venue owner has the ability to do. Yeah, the the venue owner can do it. We, we've also explored situations where, where we uh, will do it. Uh, I think because we're using camera-based systems, uh, our plan is to incorporate some kind of AI, some kind of image recognition. So if you're walking by a space that's labeled as a McDonald's in the airport, uh, but our camera is picking up a, a sign that actually says Burger King, uh, being able to flag that and, and, and make automatic corrections. Uh, that's a little bit down the road. Uh, and so right now it is primarily manual. Either the venue owner has control uh, or uh, we can provide a, a managed service and control it. Do you have any way of linking in uh, dynamic content? Um, the, the example I'm thinking of is, is, for example, an airport where you can map out the physical space, but if somebody wants to get information, say, from the, the, the board that's indicating flight information, do you, do you have a way that you can tie in dynamic content like that? Uh, Steve, if, if you're looking for a job in product development, we've got a spot for you. Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, if the, if the information is available, then we can tie it in. Uh, and you can imagine a, a few different scenarios where that would be valuable. So any kind of gate information, arrival, departure information, 
uh, real-time arrivals and departures for trains and uh, and buses uh, in public transportation, for example. You can imagine that dynamic information would be uh, would be really valuable and, and really important to have. So so long as there is a way for us to access that information, then we can absolutely display that information, and, and we're exploring that with a few partners. Okay, getting back to the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's volunteer, Steve. You forgot to mention that. Oh, damn it. <laughs> You're not leaving. <laughs> so, Jose, is there an ongoing subscription cost for a venue owner, or is there a one-time fee, or kind of how does that work? Yeah, so for the venue owner, there is an upfront fee to actually conduct the mapping and then an ongoing subscription cost. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of data that, that we have to host. And as I mentioned, there's literally hundreds of thousands of images that we have to have uh, available in a fraction of a second. Um, and so one of the things that's really important for us is to build use cases on top of good maps uh, to really make this an easy decision for venue owners. So, so right now we obviously have an accessible navigation solution. Uh, we're in the process of building a navigation solution that is uh, not accessibility focused. So it's more of a, a general public use case uh, that leverages augmented reality. Imagine a, a bunch of arrows uh, appearing on the ground in front of you that would guide you to where you're trying to go in an airport. We think there's also some really compelling use cases in safety and first responders. Uh, imagine being a firefighter and arriving to a building that you've never stepped foot on. What information would you want to know that would make your job safer uh, and easier? Those are the kind of things that we think maps can play a really important role in. And there's also things from a facility management and asset tracking perspective that, that I think are really valuable. Uh, if you're a hospital, how do you track all of your expensive mobile equipment? How do you uh, find a doctor uh, in, in an emergency setting? Th those are all things that our maps and our positioning technology can help facilitate. And every time we build a use case on the maps that compel somebody to bring us in and, and map for that use case, we bring, we bring the accessibility along uh, with us. And, and that's an important part of making sure that we get a large enough footprint so that any building that anybody enters uh, is, is navigatable. What are the, the, the backpacks that you talk about, the LiDAR backpacks? What, what's a unit like that uh, cost? <laughs> uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, they're, uh, they're, they're big and they're expensive and they're, and they're delicate. Um, uh, and you're, you know, you're talking several tens of, of thousands of dollars. That's obviously another part of the, the cost that we need to cover uh, in the subscription model. Yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of have this picture of, uh, you know, the, the cars that Google drives around and to, to gather uh, street view data and, you know, wondering how, how you get to the point where you have people walking around doing that same sort of function for you, but, uh, you know, with, with, a, with a helmet on or something. Yeah, Steve, the, the backpack is eerily very similar to the old Strider backpack. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So have you guys considered, I'm sure you have, uh, wearables? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the things that we are most excited about. I, I think wearables are really making a comeback. You know, the, the, the first generation was too cumbersome and, and had too many issues. But I think in 2021, you're going to see wearables from Apple and Facebook and Microsoft that are really going to uh, decrease in price and increase in utility. Um, and, and part of why we're so excited about a LiDAR-based approach and a camera-based approach is that that's where all the big tech players are, are going. 
Um, and so we're going to be able to use all of the sensors that are going to be popping up on these new wearables to identify your position and to not have you rely on your phone. So we've really built what we think is a, is a future-proof solution. And I know we have listeners who are going to email us multiple times if, if one of us don't ask the question. So what platforms are you currently on? So we are currently on Apple, uh, and before the end of the year, let, let's call it by mid-December, uh, we will be on Android. And Rob, another question people might ask is, well, how do I get my local venue mapped? And it's really a combination of user demand, if you will. If somebody really wants to advocate for a particular building, they can connect that venue with us, and we can give them a quote, and or uh, you know, local agencies can can help advocate. I'm sure there'll be buildings that are of, of greater interest to blind people, perhaps than than others that you might want to have getting mapped first. And are there any buildings that are currently mapped in Canada? None that are mapped in Canada yet. We actually just got the LiDAR device uh, into Canada last week. Okay. Uh, and so we will be mapping the, the CNIB headquarters and a number of their storefronts. Uh, and they're, uh, you know, from there expanding into what we hope is a number of museums, uh, government buildings, airports, uh, and hopefully that'll all happen or start happening before the end of the year. We've had conversations with a number of transit agencies so as I recall, your SkyTrains there in, in Vancouver is a perfect example of where you have sort of indoor and outdoor navigation integration, and a lot could be done with, with making those indoor spaces uh, easier to navigate for both blind people and, and the rest of the population. Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like this is poised to be um, sort of the way of the future. I know that a lot of this, a lot of this tech is, is still evolving, you know, especially when we're talking about wearables and stuff. It, is, it, is it a pretty exciting time for you guys? I mean, from, from my perspective, it's, it's incredibly exciting. First of all, to have a product out there after a year and a half of, of development and, and really hard work to make it a reality is incredibly exciting. Um, it, it, you know, the reception has been incredible uh, as well and, and from users who have really enjoyed using it. You know, we, we wanted to create something that was intuitive right out of the box. Uh, but really powerful uh, if you if you wanted to put some some more customization into it, and I think we've threaded that needle really nicely. Um, and I think for people who have been in accessible navigation for for some time now, it's it's a pretty exciting time. And I think Mike's in a in a great spot to talk about that. Yeah, it is exciting. I'm turning the corner largely because of the mapping and the positioning. That's really been the bottleneck for for all the years that I've worked on it. And and many kludge systems have been tested and. Uh, you can find a pilot situation where they work, but to really be practical and viable in, in commercial settings, uh, you know, has taken this kind of breakthrough with the camera-based positioning and the LiDAR mapping to make it work. There's always, uh, there's always issues around privacy whenever technologies like this roll out. What, what sort of, uh, are, are you seeing any pushback on privacy issues and, and what, what sort of things do you, do you see as being problematic? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question and one that was really top of mind for us from the, from the get-go. And I think there's really kind of two answers to that. So the first one is, is privacy of a venue's mapping data. And when we started this effort, we heard from a lot of people who said, we, we would love to make our building accessible, 
but there's no way that we're going to let you come in here and map and put that map on an open platform like OpenStreetMap, where literally anybody with an internet connection has access to my floor plans. Uh, and so that was really a deal breaker for, for a lot of folks. And so as we created our own mapping platform from the ground up, we built it with the ability for the venue owner to define what information they wanted to make public and what information they wanted to either not publish at all or only publish for their employees. So for example, you can imagine that the information that a nurse at a hospital sees needs to be very different from the information that an engineer sees or that a patient sees. And we've built good maps uh, with that specific ability because we wanna make sure that we respect the, the privacy and the data of our venue owners. I think the, the other uh, way that you can think about the, the, the privacy and the data is from the user's perspective. And you can imagine, you know, d digging into our tech and you realize that, oh, okay, every now and again, they're taking a, a, a picture on my phone so that they can figure out where I am. Number one, are they tracking my location? Number two, are they, are they storing my images? And the answer to both of those is, is no. Uh, we do not store any kind of location information. Uh, and number two, nobody ever sees the images. It's all automated and the images are all destroyed uh, as soon as we are able to return to your phone uh, a location. Um, so using a camera-based system doesn't have, or at least our camera-based system, uh, doesn't come with any, any privacy concerns on behalf of the user. In terms of the, the actual process of going in and mapping a space, is it a fairly quick procedure? Yeah, great question. So, so to give you an idea, there's a local um, library that APH mapped when they started this effort three or four years ago. Uh, and it took a team of two, uh, about two and a half weeks of being in the library and, and creating that map. But it's a relatively small library. It's, it's two floors. Um, when we went in with the LiDAR backpack, the total amount of time that we spent scanning was about 18 minutes. Uh, there was about five minutes before that scanning process where we just needed to understand the layout of the building so we can plan uh, our route. Uh, and then there were a few minutes of just collecting information on, on rooms and whatnot. So from the perspective of the amount of time that we're spending in the, uh, in the building, it is extremely small. Uh, and, and, that, and that's by design. We, we want to lower the requirements for the, for the venue owners and, and really uh, remove the reasons that, that they have to, to not invest in these kinds of systems. Now, uh, like any system, if you don't maintain it, it's not going to be good. And so venue owners do need to make sure that they're paying attention to what is in the maps and what is being shared with visitors. Um, but, but good maps is, is very intuitive and very easy to make those changes. With a lidar system like you're using, what what sort of range are you are you able to to cover uh, with it? Like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about say a, a soccer stadium, for example. If you were standing on the field, would you be able to map the the, the bleachers with it? That is a great question. Um, the the short answer is is no. You would not be able to to map the the bleachers. Um, but we have not run into any restrictions on any indoor spaces that we have mapped so far. And that includes, uh, you know, extremely high ceilings and amphitheater like settings, uh, for, for example, in, a, in an airport, some of those common areas and, and terminals in the, in the airport. So the, the range is pretty high. I'll have to get back to you on the exact number, but, but it is in the tens of meters. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by this. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a new revolution in information, and you know, we've we've seen over over the course of our lifetimes, we've seen so so much new information get get added to the uh, to the uh, databases, and and this is this is a whole new 
a whole new area. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think indoor mapping is the is the next frontier. It, it's the single largest unmapped space in the in the world. And I think that's uh, both daunting and exciting to think about. And, and, you know, I think there's a couple of things that get me really excited. Number one, as a sighted person, uh, I need this technology. Uh, I was just in the hospital uh, over the new year, welcoming my, my son into the world. And I got lost every single day. We were in there five days. I, I wish I had known the, the quickest way to get to the cafeteria and how to make sure that they were still open. I think the other part that, that's really exciting here is that accessibility has a seat at the table from day one. And as we go through this this new mapping process, and as we incorporate LIDAR and machine vision and image recognition, uh, accessibility is along for the ride and has a seat for the table instead of you know us tapping their shoulders 10 years later and saying, hey, did, did you guys forget about us? And I think that's really important. And we're, and we're proud to, uh, to be representing accessibility in that seat. One of the things I was just thinking about is when does the indoor GPS or indoor navigation kick in? So I'm just thinking of a scenario of, let's say, a person in a wheelchair coming up to a building that may not have a wheelchair ramp to get into the building. Will the good maps actually tell him, you know, outside, go around this way, 500 meters, wheelchair ramp will allow access on the south side? Or does that only work for indoor navigation? Yeah, if there's a portion of the building that is outside, then we will use GPS to, to navigate them inside. The camera-based positioning will kick off once we uh, are able to identify that you have walked into that building. Right now, we're using a single Bluetooth beacon at the entrance of a building so that as soon as you walk in, we can identify that you've entered the space. Uh, eventually, we'll, we'll figure out a better way to, to do that, but it's a pretty uh, straightforward solution right now. Right. But things like marking wheelchair ramps and other accessibility features, that's all a matter of something being entered in the database. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it could be added to that particular building or, and there are some, um, there, there's an app called Able Road, for example, where users input this information. Where are the curb cuts, uh, particularly in cities that don't have a lot of them? And can you navigate a person in a wheelchair to the streets that do have the curb cuts versus the ones that don't. So that's all a matter of just enhancing the database. And we're very much looking into what we call rich POI, point of interest content, because uh, there's a lot of different ways that that can enhance the experience by knowing that location information. Right, and I also saw recently, I think it was, that you guys have also partnered with Be My Eyes. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, when you go into the app, um, you know, there's, I guess it's starting off, one tool doesn't do everything for you, so you need multiple tools. And if you can have them all wrapped up into one experience, that makes it easier. So the Be My Eyes button to launch that visual assistance service is on the More tab of the Explore app. And if you get close to a building and you're not sure where the door is, then you can tap on that be my eyes button and raise one of the volunteers to help you with the visual assistance. And is Good Maps available now? It is. Good Maps Explore. Good Maps is one word. So you search on those two words in the uh, iOS App Store and it should come right up for free. 
And for those Android users, uh, you can go to goodmaps.com and sign up for our newsletter. And as soon as our Android version is released, again, before the end of this year, uh, you'll be among the first to know. All right. Excellent. And you guys, I feel like are, you're very fortunate because you're falling into this great space where there's a lot of mainstream applications to this that I, I think will really help drive things forward. You know, the ability to, to go to a library and, and, you know, you think of any place that you go to that's large enough to, to need a map or a directory, you know, we could be digitizing all of that information and making things so much easier for everybody. I, I think that's exactly right. I think there is a, a benefit to society as a whole. We're, we're starting with uh, the, the blind and visually impaired community, uh, but, but really as, as super users uh, of this technology. And in the same way that uh, audiobooks uh, were originally designed for, for people who were blind or visually impaired, in the same way that uh, curb cuts were, were designed for people in, in wheelchairs, the work that we're doing here is, is going to benefit everybody. And, uh, and we look forward to proving that out. You know, there, there are two things that are in the pipeline that, that I think are really uh, interesting and really compelling. The first one is that we are working on this concept of what we call an enhanced POI. So normally when you think about a point of interest, it's a museum exhibit you've arrived or it's a restroom you've arrived. Well, there's more information that you often want. And so what we're doing is in the back end, creating the ability to engage with that enhanced information. So for example, maybe you wanna hear an audio clip uh, about the exhibit that you're in front of, or you wanna engage in, in social media and other people who have walked through that particular exhibit and, and what their reactions were or you walk into a restroom and you're curious about where uh, the hand-washing station is. Well, we can describe that for you with enhanced data and enhanced POI data so that it's not just that you have arrived at the meeting room, but also the tables on the left and the chairs are to the right. I think that's really uh, valuable and really compelling. The other thing that we're working on is bringing this same level of accuracy that we're seeing uh, indoors into outdoor settings. And I think we've all just kind of generally said, all right, GPS is free, GPS is available everywhere. We'll, we'll just use it despite its limitations. But there's a really big difference when you're getting a meter of accuracy versus uh, seven, 10, 15, 20 meters of accuracy in, in some urban settings. Uh, and using the same technology that, that we're using uh, indoors, we're, we're, we're uh, exploring bringing to outdoors and in fact, are, are trying to get some pilots going uh, to prove that efficacy. So, so imagine that you no longer have to rely uh, on GPS for your outdoor positioning. Uh, I think that's really exciting. Well, listen, guys, we want to thank you so much for taking some time out and chatting with us. Where can people find Good Maps, uh, like uh, both on the App Store and online? Yeah, so you can go to www.goodmaps.com and, and check out the website. We've got links to the app on the website. Uh, or on the Apple Store, search for Good Maps Explore. Good Maps is one word. Explore is a separate word. Excellent. Well, listen, we'll have you guys back on anytime. Uh, this is fascinating, uh, and I'm excited. I am so excited not to get lost. <laughs> we, will, we will one day be able to navigate the mall. That's right. <laughs> With, without anxiety. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jose. Appreciate Bye. it. Thank Thanks. You. Take Cheers. care, guys. All right. You know, I can't, I can't get over how much faster it is to map uh, a space using that LiDAR camera. That's, that's some pretty high tech stuff. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty neat. It's a, sh it's a shame that those things are so expensive because if you could just have it somehow within the reach of the average consumer so that, you know, people could walk around on their day-to-day -day lives and, and add to the maps, 
I mean, that would be, you that could, would be ideal. You could, you could have so much public space mapped just automatically as people are walking around. But I wonder if that maybe isn't on the way because, you know, I'm curious to, to hear about the, the Apple LiDAR technology and, and just what it can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, maybe that is the thin edge of the wedge and, and uh, you know, maybe it doesn't have the resolution that the, the hefty ones do, but you get enough data from a bunch of those cameras overlapping and maybe you do start to build a map over time. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, this is going to be crazy. The amount of digital information that we're just going to have at our fingertips. Every time I think that, you know, we live in such an age where it's just like we're surrounded by information. We have like, we have all the sum of human knowledge at our fingertips, thanks to Google. And uh, we just keep increasing that. Yep. And we're getting some really fine databases of cat pictures. As a result. <laughs> no, great. <laughs> I've been adding to that myself. It would be interesting. It'll be interesting to actually take the, the app for a spin. I'm really curious about it um, because I, I find, and I really do feel like they're in a sweet spot because there's a lot of mainstream potential here as well. Oh, absolutely. And I always feel like that really drives the, the assistive technology portion of any given thing forward when it can piggyback on something that's mainstream that's all of a sudden uh, widely distributed. Well, you think of what Good Maps is doing and, and others as well, but you know, my wife and I, I'm totally blind for those of you who don't know, but my wife and I have been to Vegas a couple times and those hotels are massive. And can yep. you imagine, you know, a conference happening in Las Vegas and I fly in, I may not have, you know, a, a guide with me. I'm not going to know which hotel I'm at, where I am in the main lobby, because the main lobby is a block wide. Like it's massive. And the amount of information I would need would be right yeah. there on my phone. Well, yeah. plus a lot of those, a lot of those hotels are interlinked as well. There's yeah. walkways between each of them. So you can be in a completely different hotel without really recognizing it. Cause you, you know, you just wandered from your hotel. Right. You know, I've, I've had trouble getting myself <laughs> back to my hotel and it wasn't just because I was pissed drunk, but that certainly didn't help any, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, to be able to, you know, have that information available and to be able to, you know, maybe through a voice interface, say, Hey, take me back to my hotel room and have it actually you know, lead you back or... there. Give you, give you arrows on the ground that you can stumble along after with your uh, five foot tall uh, sippy cup. You know? yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, and especially when you start to pair this technology with, you know, wearables, you know, it just makes you wonder like in 10 years, you know, we'll have smart glasses that will literally be able to take us from your couch to the specific aisle of a grocery store that you want to, you know, you want to go pick up a pack of salt and vinegar chips. Like it can actually, you'll have that specific set of directions to be able to guide you from those two locations. Wouldn't surprise me that in the next 10, maybe 20 years, you'll be able to walk into your optometrist office and that'll just be one of the pairs of glasses you can get with prescription frames or something. It'll put a little picture in picture screen in the top corner or something so you could sighted people could actually see you know the directions on the map yeah or contact lenses you know wait 10 10 to 20 years and you're walking into the office you should be able to levitate in by that point. <laughs> levitate yeah <laughs> that'd be nice hey, can i just put in a side note here complete non sequitur but i just i saw this on the news the other day um there it, there, it was a, it was a news report that lax the, the Los oh, Angeles yeah. area. Yeah. You hear about this? They had like, I did, yeah. 
jetpacks they yeah, they, they, uh, I think it was an Air China flight reported seeing a guy at 6,000 feet in a jetpack <laughs> by L- LAX. That's crazy. He's got a jetpack flying at 6,000 feet. Who it's is that? What's Iron Man. <laughs> and it's not the first sighting of the guy either, apparently, or, or a guy at least. Yeah, that blew me away. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah I got to admit, my first reaction to that was good on him. Yeah. I hope he. I hope he doesn't get sucked into a jet engine. But good on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea we had jetpacks that could do that. Uh, apparently so. Yeah. Man, what a great time to be alive. Other than COVID <laughs> and everybody dying and Trump possibly being reelected. But otherwise, it's a great time. To be hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also email us, just like Steph did, at cowbell at atbanter.com. That's what I like to hear, a nice hard strike. All right. Indeed. Hey, and if you're really, really, really looking to, uh, you know, get into a universe where people are horrible and mean, uh, you can also find us in those cesspools known as Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> it's a... Oh, and Instagram, but the Instagram's okay. The Instagram's okay. It's uh, just got a lot of pictures of cats and stuff. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you back on any of those yet? Or are you still, you're still completely off? No, I, uh, I am, uh, well, uh, I've still got the, uh, Canadian assistive technology Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, and I, I admit I do use that account to browse around and see what, uh, what things are trending and, but, but because it's a professional account, every time I want to respond to something, it's like, Oh no, 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 you can't, <laughs> you can't say that on the professional account. <laughs> All right. So it's safe. It's a safe yes. Space. Yep. Indeed. So yeah, Instagram's the only one I'm on. You gotcha. All right. Well, then I think that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Look at that master of the one take.